Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Now, we start the week in politics with the Cabinet Office confirming that Sue Gray has provided an update on her investigation to the PM, limited, of course, due to the Met Police probe. Boris Johnson will make a statement and an apology in the Commons soon after the report comes out. The wording of the report will determine the next steps for the Prime Minister. For now, there is a sense that the tide of Tory opinion has shifted back in his favour. Well, Boris Johnson is keeping the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, on side by promising over the weekend to stick to April's national insurance hike. Meanwhile, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss has batted away speculation that she could run for the leadership, saying that the future of the Prime Minister is assured. That takes us to the government's PR blitz as Johnson tries to shift the narrative from parties to policy. The PM and the Foreign Secretary are planning visits to Eastern Europe to suss out the situation in Ukraine, with Johnson expected to speak to Russia's President Putin later this week. Meanwhile, the government is apparently planning a Brexit freedom bill to make it easier to change the laws that Britain inherited from the European Union. Well, joining us to discuss this uh, political action today that is moving fast is Bloomberg Opinion's Therese Raphael. Therese, good to have you on. So we've been waiting and waiting, but now we will get an update. So fairly limited, it sounds, on the Sue Gray report. I mean, what, what may emerge? What would put the Prime Minister in danger here when it comes to this update? Well, we know that the report now, because of the police investigation, can't include a lot of the details, the juicy, um, you know, details of the parties that are, you know, under police investigation, the ones that we've been most focused on in the media, particularly that May 20th party. So, you know, that seriously limits uh, the kind of damage that the report can do itself to Boris. But he's not entirely out of the woods because the language that she chooses to use, say, in her conclusions, um, how she references uh, the parties that she's not able to discuss in great detail, whether there are any kind of additional things that come out with this report, any photos, any, um, you know, WhatsApp messages, the, all those kinds of things have the potential to throw a spanner in the works. I mean, what can be said is the sort of save Boris campaign that has been in full swing for, you know, the last week at least has been pretty successful in just calming, um, you know, the, the, the kind of heat within Parliament itself. And I think that's, that's the key, um, you know, that's the key venue of action because it's the backbench MPs that would have to vote in any confidence vote. So, you know, there is potential for this to still uh, bubble over in some way, but the police investigation and the limits that put on 
Stu Gray's reporting definitely took a lot of the uh, potential sting out of out of it. Uh, if the report's heavily, very heavily redacted, it doesn't really put the matter to bed, does it? I mean, even if it's published in full, I don't think it puts the matter to bed because, as you say, there is the police uh, investigation. Where, where, where do we go from here? Well, I mean, I think we... We, I think the police investigation is, you know, something that a lot of people are dismissing now. It can, you know, would only result in a fixed penalty notice, the equivalent of a parking ticket. Um, you know, the defenders of Boris Johnson have basically uh, been saying, you know, is this really what you want to lose a prime minister over? Does this meet the threshold of, you know, those you know, really serious kinds of things that would cause you to change a government? Um, you know, and we can certainly expect a fulsome apology. I guess the caveat there is that the Met gave three reasons, three tests that it used to set out why it would investigate a past COVID violation. And when you look at those tests, they're quite serious. So one of them was, you know, whether there was potential evidence that those involved in the in the breach knew or ought to have known that it was an offense. Yeah. Then they also looked at, you know, whether not investigating would undermine legitimacy of the law and, you know, whether there was you know, very little ambiguity in the absence and the absence of a reasonable defense. So those three tests are quite serious. For the for the Met to get in and investigate a past offense suggests that they had to have cleared, you know, several important evidentiary hurdles and have satisfied themselves that not investigating would have been a problem. So while many see the, the Met investigation as getting Boris off the hook um, because it prolongs things mm-hmm. and the heat dies down, really the reason the Met chose to investigate it suggests that there was enough there um, that, you know, it's going to be, that will present a, another hurdle when it comes. And obviously we don't know when that is. It could be weeks, no. it could be months. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it's, you know, that, that the gray report draws a line under it, but it might, it might for those backbench MPs for now. OK, well, on that note, uh, Therese, thank you so much for being with us. Therese Raphael is our Bloomberg opinion columnist there with the latest in terms of the political news. Well, let's bring in our guest, Richard Graham, Conservative MP for Gloucester. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, you've said uh, previously that the parties were illegal and indefensible. What do you expect from the Prime Minister's uh, statement today? And, uh, and what would it take from the Prime Minister f- for you to, to lose his support? Look, I'm really sorry. I thought I was coming on this programme to talk about my spiking bill of last week. We I've will certainly get on to that, new, yes. Nothing new to say about anything to do with birthday party gate or whatever it's now called. You know, let's wait until we hear from the Sue Gray report and everything else. So, please, that's not why I came on this call. OK. Um, so, on the business of the government, though... Um you proposed this new legislation, as you say, the spiking uh, offence. It's a horrible new issue that has emerged in the UK. What are you hoping to get from from the, the legislation? It does seem to have support within the Commons, but is this, uh, is this the sort of bill that is going to be discussed at this point in time? Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> I mean, spiking has been around for a long time. That's the, the putting of the drugs in drinks. The, the new element is spiking by injection, and that's difficult because nothing has been proven on that. But students in particular at universities know that this is a real issue, and spiking by drink has increased. So it's become a much more prevalent problem, and, of course, this affects all families. So 
I think the fact that spiking in itself is not a criminal offence at the moment would surprise many people. If it's um, proven to be uh, spiking with a sexual insult in mind, then that is a criminal offence. So it's about widening uh, what is criminal. Uh, and I think the government is very much in listening mode. And I'll be meeting again with Home Office ministers to discuss where we go from here soon. Is it right to take this problem in isolation? Isn't it part of a much a much wider problem of, of male violence against women, uh, something which the government doesn't seem to be tackling elsewhere? So it's definitely linked to that because, and the figures will vary, but around 80% of spiking is, is uh, traditionally targeted at women. There are some instances of men on men. The case of Reynard Sinaga in Manchester, who was found through his own videos to have sexually assaulted 48 young males, um, uh, you know, is something to, to bear in mind. So it's not exclusively women, but it is mostly women. Um, it is, yes, part of the government's drive to do more about violence against women in general. The domestic abuse bill was an important aspect of that. And I think local police forces are very conscious of this too. Very conscious. Um, well, there are growing calls, though, to, to treat male violence against women and girls in the same way as terrorism, that misogyny and racism and homophobia can be early sort of red flags for terrorism. Would you agree on that score, that violence against women and girls needs to be taken far more seriously? Well, I think it, it does, and I think it, it is. Um, we, for example, here in, in Gloucester and in Gloucestershire, we got very close work indeed with the constabulary, and we had all the county's MPs on the line the other day discussing this uh, with the senior management of Gloucestershire Constabulary. So things are moving, things are happening, um, but they're also, I think, partly as a result of the lockdowns, there are an increased number of domestic abuse cases which tend to be uh, men against women, not exclusive, but that is mostly the problem. So. I think everyone is aware that more needs to be done. Uh, the, okay. the Lords voted to make misogyny uh, a hate crime recently. Do you, do you think they were right to do so? Would you like to see that enacted? I'm not sure that sort of misogyny on its own is a very easy one for a, for a policeman in a, uh, on, the, on, the, on the street to be able to sort of book somebody for, whereas spiking a drink or injecting an arm or a thigh... Um, you've been spiking, you're booked, you know, we're going to prosecute you, we've got the evidence, um, is, is much clearer where you have got the evidence. And the issue is just about where someone has been spiked in the arm or thigh, uh, what proof have you got of who did it, the CCTV show enough, uh, and then can you get that analysed quickly enough to show that there was something being put in the arm or the thigh. So... You know, there, there are technical difficulties with all of these things, but I don't think there's enough there to prevent us from doing more about criminalising spiking. OK, um, Richard, um, one last thought away from spiking on what the mood is in the Conservative Party right now, given that the Prime Minister is going to make a statement today around Partygate, just briefly. Well, it's very difficult, I think, for any one MP to, to tell you exactly what the mood is amongst 300 and. 60-odd colleagues, because the mood will differ from individual So does the Prime Minister still have your support, then? Any Prime Minister has my support, including Prime Ministers from opposition parties, to do the right thing for their country, and, and we want them to succeed. This is, it's a difficult time. We're coming out of the pandemic. We've got international crises. We want, we need government to succeed and, and get on with important things, and that's what we hope will happen.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's very own Leanne Gerrins. Leanne, thanks so much for joining us on the programme today. Now, tell us a bit more about what's been uh, happening in the debate over national insurance, this rise which is planned for April. Ewan, great to join you too, and happy Monday. So first of all, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak joined forces, and they really doubled down on bringing in this planned national insurance boost, which will help health funding and support the NHS really following the pandemic and all the cuts that we have seen. So yesterday, the pair appeared united, and this is really after weeks of allegations of cracks in their relationship due to the Partygate scandal. So writing in the Sunday Times, Johnson and Sunak said they are both tax-cutting conservatives, but there is, of course, no magic money tree. So what does higher tax mean, Caroline and Ewan? Well, to put it simply, an average worker will pay more than £200 a year in national insurance. But over the last week, we've had rumours that Boris Johnson has really been wobbling on the policy, and that's coming from pressure from some of his own MPs to scrap this delay in the tax hike. And according to reports, the move will be seen as a victory for the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who has insisted that inflation leaves little headroom for fiscal loosening. And so with many of Johnson's own MPs still against the move, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say if it's done and dusted. So... I guess, watch this space. Yep, absolutely. Wouldn't be the first U-turn by this government indeed, though. Um, And so to the question on the NHS and NHS workers, will the mandatory jabs um, uh, rule... Could that be scrapped as we come to the deadline? Are you hinting at another U-turn, Caroline? Mm. (laughs) Well, this is also still up in the air. So the answer to this is I don't know and none of us know at the moment. But ministers are meeting later today to reconsider these compulsory vaccinations. And that's for NHS staff right here in England. Let me put this in a bit of context for you. 77,000 staff have not had one COVID jab. And if they remain unvaccinated by April, they'll be 
redeployed or they will no longer be able to work for the NHS. And on a practical level, can the NHS really afford to lose all these staff at a moment when we're coming out of the pandemic? And of course, we're still seeing cases in the UK fairly high. They have been on the um, the lower end of late, but you know, we can't rule that out. And of course, there's a whole backlog of patients who've missed out on crucial treatment. And there's also been lots of protests against this move um, from NHS staff. And a lot of them are considering even going to the devolved nations where vaccination is just not compulsory there. But we must remember that the Health Security Agency says vaccines have proven to be effective against hospitalisation, infection and transmission. So this is a really wait and see situation. But once again, something up in the air when it comes to the government. Yeah, Leanne, finally, just a report that Michael Gove has got landlords in his sight. Yeah, he does indeed, um, Ewan Potts. And you know what this is all about? This is all about the levelling up agenda. We've been hearing about this for a while, haven't we? But the English Housing Survey estimated 23% of people who were living in private rentals, those didn't reach um, decent home standards. So changes really need to start happening, according to the Housing Secretary, Michael Gobi, is going to announce measures that will require landlords to refit around 800,000 properties don't meet requirements and this will be to make them safe and warm and in a good state of repair. This is a bit of a hot spot so this move's been long demanded by campaigners and they want to bring the private rental sector into line with obligations um, that are required in council and housing association properties. So Gove is also set to unveil his widening, his wider levelling up agenda that's happening on Wednesday and I hear you saying where is all this cash coming from? Well the government says the money is from funds already allocated in the spending review. So in a couple of days' time, the levelling up agenda should be with us. Okay, Leanne Gerrans, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on the politics today. Well, let's continue our conversation. The Prime Minister, from the Prime Minister down, uh, have people in Whitehall have reportedly been questioned by Sue Gray as we wait for the full uh, report, how much of it will be redacted. Joining us now is Becky Smith, who's Deputy Editor of Civil Service World. Becky, great to have you on the programme. I didn't know that there was a civil service magazine, but clearly there is, following the ins and outs of Whitehall. So I'm very pleased to have your inside of you here. What do you expect we will actually get? get from the Sue Gray report. How much will not be covered in black? Thanks for having me. I mean, no one seems to know exactly what this will look like. We've heard so many conflicting things. What we do know is that the Met Police has asked uh, Sue Gray to make minimal reference to the parties that they are investigating, which, you know, that could be quite a lot of material, really. You would imagine that there would be some crossover. We know that it's standard when there's an internal civil service um, inquiry if there's evidence that the investigator thinks might suggest criminal activity, they'll pass that on to the Met. So obviously Sue Gray must have found something that she thinks warrants that inquiry. So so that will be interesting. What's we don't like? tend to see... Sorry. Sorry, go on. We don't tend to see these um, investigations published in full. It's normal to have um, a summary of findings published, and that's what I imagine that we'll find. What's it like to be thrust into the limelight like like Sue Gray. Obviously, civil servants aren't qu- quite as anonymous as, as, as people think they are, but they're certainly not well known across the country. And suddenly Sue Gray is a household name, or at least in political circles anyway. That must be pretty unusual. 
it certainly is. And I think, you know, civil servants are not known, well, they're known for their um, desire really not to be in the limelight more than the other way around. Sue Gray is known sort of within Whitehall circles. She's quite famous because she used to be this cabinet officer's head of um, propriety and ethics. So she has done inquiries in the past, but I imagine it's not a comfortable place for her to be. Okay, so not a comfortable place, um, as indeed we know that Boris Johnson has received now this civil service report into Partygate. Well, look, what overall then is the mood within the civil service? Because in amongst all of this, of course, um, Dominic Cummings has played a role here. Uh, he, He is... Um, you know, has been very, very focused on trying to bring down the prime minister. He's sort of stated that as his aim. And he was somebody who was key when it came to the conversation around civil service reform. So what do you think the mood in the civil service is now? I think things are quite tense. I think like a lot of the rest of the country, a lot of civil servants are sort of waiting with bated breath to see what will be said in the report. I mean, obviously, we know that there were a lot of events that happened, potentially lockdown breaking parties. The proportion of civil servants that attended those, you know, if civil servants did attend, would have been a very, very tiny proportion of the civil service. You know, most of them, like most of us, obeyed the rules. And I think a lot of people are feeling quite sore about the revelations that have come out. You know, so I think a lot of them are, are waiting to see what will happen and and if, um, you know, if, if they will feel... Sort of vindicated and um, when the report comes out. Um, I don't think that um, Dominic Cummings' intervention will be welcomed by everyone because I think it, this, this has become obviously a very political question. Um, and if it's seen as kind of a vendetta or a, you know, an attempt to out the, oust the prime minister, mm. but that could cloud kind of the muddy the waters really you know do gray's job is to establish the fact what happened and i don't think it's particularly helpful or seen as particularly helpful within the civil service if that becomes conflated with kind of a revenge effort which dominic cummings actions are becoming seen as when the police finish their inquiries do you think there is an expectation that there will be there will be fines there will be fixed penalty notices issued to, to civil servants are, are people worried about that do you think I think it's quite possible that there will be. I think um, you would expect them to focus their efforts on kind of, you know, organisers of events or more senior people. I can't imagine that they would spend a lot of time sort of chasing around more junior officials if they attended. But, I mean, fixed penalty notices are the... um, That's the penalty for for these events, so that's what you would expect to come out of it. Mm. Having said that, is there, you know, we're talking about whether there's damage to the government from Partygate, whether Boris Johnson has to go. Is there equally damage overall to the civil service from this? I mean, just today, for example, the Institute for Government has come out with an in-depth report about the lack of diversity within the civil service, about racism and bullying. I mean, is there also a a problem for the civil service in terms of elitism and and who, you know, is, you know, gets those sort of plum jobs within the civil service? Yeah, I think, again, it depends what comes out in the report. Um, it's potential. It's, it's possible that it could be damaging for the civil service. Um, I think there are a lot of conversations to be had about how diversity could be improved in the civil service and particular issues like bullying, obviously, are really important and need to be tackled as like an HR issue. 
um, I think that um, there has been a lot of um, political capital being, um, you know, people looking for political capital in the last few weeks, um, kind of bashing the civil service. And that's coming from ministers and MPs, um, as well as from the media. Um, And I think that it's possible some of these issues are getting conflated and the civil service is being used as a bit of a... Mm. uh, scapegoat some of this is a bit of a distraction really and just briefly do you think uh, some of the criticism over the civil service being slow to return to the office do you, do you think that criticism is fair well first of all i think it's a myth that no civil servants have been in the office over the last couple of years you know with, there's departments where quite a large number of civil servants who've been in frontline roles or jobs that can't be done from home they've been going in as key workers but i also think it's a myth that Anyone who works from home is lazy. You know, we know that civil servants delivered the furlough scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, the vaccines task force, quite a lot of them were working from home while they were, were getting the vaccine program up and running. Um, you know, people have done really important jobs from home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have been working a lot, lot harder than they would have done in normal times. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.